when it comes to data privacy we always talk about eu gdpr and eu being the hub of what happens in context of privacy and same spirit if you want to talk about innovation we want to say silicon valley or california that's where the real action is so big tech is there and then if you see the trend in last few years california has been at the forefront of privacy legislation the ccpa the cpra and now the delete act and in that context there is a philosophy can we contain the big tech and whether we can contain the big tech whether we can protect our civil rights economy and democracy in this digital world that's going to be an unending debate but there i had the privilege of meeting tom kemp who's the silicon valley based author entrepreneur and angel investor and also a privacy advisor who's going to write a book on containing big tech so let's go and talk to him about how to contain big tech and what is silicon valley doing in the context of privacy and we'll also talk about the delete act hello and welcome to the fit for privacy podcast with punit batia this is the podcast for those who care about their privacy Here your host Punit Bhatia has conversations with industry leaders about their perspectives, ideas and opinions relating to privacy, data protection and related matters. Be aware that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not legal advice. Let us get started. So here we are with Tom Kemp. Welcome Tom to Fit for Privacy podcast. Oh, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure it's a pleasure and I read about your profile and that's how we connected as well you have an opinion about privacy but let me start with a very basic question the gdpr which is usually the baseline when it comes to privacy conversations how would you put it in one word uh, i don't know if this is one word but sets the stand the gold standard good it's good gold standard indeed it's self explanatory and now most of us when it comes to privacy especially the skeptics who get more attention in the media uh, they say the big tech has all the data we will never be able to retrieve it this and that and that and that so there's a whole philosophy of big tech has all the data now it's too late and then there are advocates of privacy who say well big tech may have your data but there's an opportunity to contain the big tech because we need to protect our civil rights economy and democracy and when i was reading your profile i found that's the title of your book contain how do you contain big tech so tell me something about what are you wanting to say what are your views about containing this big tech well yeah so um i i've historically been a silicon valley entrepreneur um in privacy and in cybersecurity and then after my company got acquired i've been involved uh in public policy uh helping with california law uh the cpra the california privacy rights act and uh, i'm also the currently the co-author of a bill that's working its way through the california legislature that's the california delete act and i think we'll probably talk about that later but mm-hmm. all that came together for me to say you know i need to write a book um about the the threats and issues 
uh, involving big tech. Now, there have been books in the past, but there's been a lot of things that have been happening. We've In the United States, we've had the overturn of Roe v. Roe v. Wade, uh, the rise of TikTok, artificial intelligence, et cetera. And so what I wanted to do is write a book to identify the problems with big tech, connect the dots, and provide straightforward solutions to the problems. Look, in the past, we've had monopolies in the world, in the United States, in the US, we had railroads, we had standard oil. But a lot of, to your point, a lot of big tech's business model is not about producing things like railroads or pumping oil uh, or making cars, but it's about mining our personal data. And we've always known about this. I mean, that's been, you know, Google and Facebook, now Meta's business model from the beginning. And the trade-off that we had was, okay, we will give our personal data and we will deal with these annoying ads that are you know, somewhat targeted to us, et cetera. But what's happened over the last few years, and, uh, you know, it it came to the forefront with Cambridge Analytica um, and then other things that have happened in terms of data breaches, but, uh, but uses of the data, the data is increasingly being weaponized against us. And so in the U.S., it, now that we're in a post-abortion rights America, that healthcare data can be used against people, or the data combined with AI can be used to influence us, addict us, lead us into rabbit holes, et cetera. So uh, Standard Oil was powerful, but it didn't know everything about us. So um, I, I think there need, does need to be a fresh look uh, at big tech. Um, I think there needs to be a fresh look at GDPR, now that's five years out. Um, and I think we need to think about um, you know, the ways that data being captured, not only by big tech, but other businesses, you know, can and is being weaponized against us. And the other thing is, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this uh, answer, is the problem that we have is, is that privacy is too hard for consumers. Like, you know, it's a whack-a-mole, it's, you know, it's cookie fatigue, et cetera. And I think the thing is, is that as citizens and as regulators and as people like yourself that are industry experts, we got to think about ways to make it easier for people to be able to exercise their rights, uh, et cetera, as opposed to basically being, you know, dealing with, you know, dark patterns all the time uh, when it comes to uh, our privacy. Indeed. I think that's very well said. But the question becomes, how do you contain big tech? Because that responsibility is with multiple stakeholders. The government can put the laws and that's where different regulations are coming up, which is a step in the right direction. Then it's also about individuals who are sharing their data to be more cautious, to be more careful, to be more wise in choosing what they share, where they share, and maybe also create some profiles. Because earlier it was always saying Tom at whatever.com or Punit at whatever.com. That was the standard operating model. But now in the modern digital world, you need to be cautious of maybe having Tom 1, Tom 2, and Tom 3, and choosing which one is the real Tom and which one is for subscription and so on. So when you say containing a bit big tech, is that all? Because there's another dimension in my view, the third dimension, that is the organizational responsibility, ethics, which is the gray area. Of course, privacy is hard, but that ethics is also hard. So we are getting into the shades of gray. And then technology keeps changing and laws, as you said, GDPR also needs a revisit, also need to follow. So how, in your view, 
when you say containing big tech all the these three dimensions if you agree with these three or maybe you have a fourth and a fifth one uh, so how do you see that happening well i think the first thing is is uh we need to educate and evangelize consumers uh, about the threats um, and the things that they can do um, mm -hmm. today. So there, there are steps that can be done. Um, and the funny thing is, is that when it's presented in a simple way, the overwhelming majority of people will pick the privacy path. For example, uh, Apple uh, introduced a feature called App tracking transparency, ATT, um, and, and that to block third-party trackers, 96%, I see the most recent statistics say 96% of people turn that on, right? Um, and there's other things that can be done. Um, there, there are applications, for example, on the Android device, the DuckDuckGo Duck, Duck browser, even if you don't want to surf the web using that, uh, on Android, it actually can provide comparable capabilities to ATT and block third-party trackers. Um, and then you could put in your browser like uh, Privacy Badger uh, from EFF to block third-party trackers, et cetera. So the first thing is, is that there are things that just by through just simple education, we can make people more privacy and security conscious. Um, uh, and so I think that needs to, to happen. And, and that goes a long way, right? Um, and then people, and, and, and if they're more privacy and security conscious, then then they're going to start pushing back. You know, instead of it just being Max Schrems doing it, there should be, you know, thousands and hundreds of thousands of more people saying, no, this is not acceptable. The second thing is, is that, yes, government needs to do more and they need to make it easier, um, you know, in terms of the actual policies. Think about the, 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 the per people aspect of like, is this acceptable for me to have to constantly, you know, accept cookies, uh, et cetera. Um, or in, in the case of California, we've got this great uh, law, the California Consumer Privacy Act, but we, the onus is still very much on us having to communicate directly with businesses and saying, do not sell my information, do not collect it, et cetera. I think there, a great solution is the global privacy control, which that we can, uh, that should be mandated that has a signal um, from our browser that says, when I visit a website, don't sell my information, you know, don't collect the sensitive information, et cetera. And then lastly, and I think this is going to come to the forefront with AI, is I think industry needs to come together and provide certification and standards, et cetera. We have this in the financial area. We have certified, you know, CPAs. We have certified people, right, that can, you know, do audits, et cetera. We, we need the similar for, for example, AI or even privacy, et cetera. We need specific standards. And so that, that raises the bar. And so we need certified people that can do, for example, AI risk management, and we need industry to come together with a set of risk management standards as it relates to AI and privacy, et cetera. So it's not just about, we need to pass better laws. I mean, that's very helpful, but we also need to educate people about the threats. And that's part of the reason why I wrote this book containing big tech, um, but I think also industry needs to kind of step it up uh, and and have organizations like IAPP is great, uh, but and there needs to be more 
certification standards, et cetera, uh, coming from private organizations or, or um, you know, ISO, uh, et cetera, to, to provide, um, you know, kind of a, a, a consistent playing field, um, you know, for this type of technology. Sure, I fully agree with you. I think we all need to contribute and it's not one size fits all. Everyone does their bit, but you mentioned something called global privacy control. It's often used and often misused also. So you explain global privacy control as kind of an indication from your PC saying, I don't want to be tracked. So you don't have to go to each website, each browser, each uh, action you take from your IP, let's put it like that which indicates that this IP does not need to be tracked. So does it mean it will solve the cookie problem? Because right now, every website I go asks me, and I sometimes wonder, especially as a privacy professional, why does every website need to ask? Didn't I say one time, can they not remember? Well, yeah, the, I mean, well, there's a couple of issues here. So the first issue is um, that, uh, the, the laws don't necessarily mandate support for that. And and in California, that was baked into the regulations that uh, people do have to support it. And there's been a lot of pushback and enforcement in California will, will happen in July. So, so this is being battled right now, um, but the ideal end state is that, that people will not only from their PCs and browsers, uh, be able to do this, but you also need the same signal coming from your mobile device as well, okay. right? So, so you need to have, you need to be able to basically make it brain dead easy for a consumer to simply say, click this button on your browser, click this button on your phone. And it generally, anytime I use a mobile app or uh, visit a website, uh, et cetera, that it's I'm sending the message and you need to accept it. And I don't have to go through the whole cookie thing. Or in the case of California, it says, do not sell uh, my data. And I have to go there and click it as well. That's just too much work. It's making yeah. privacy hard, right? For people to have to constantly do that. And again, I call it kind of a whack-a-mole, right? You're, as you go along, you're like whacking like that game where you're, you're, you're whacking the little stuffed animals that pop out. But the interesting thing is, is that GPC is, brilliant um, and it needs to be enforced through regulations, et cetera, that websites do have to support it. But that only actually involves first party data. First party data is uh, data collected with entities that we have a direct relationship. We have a big problem, especially in the United States with uh, entities called data brokers. Data brokers are entities that we don't have a direct business relationship with. We never visit their websites, but they still collect all this information, not only from mobile apps and from and via cookies, but our loyalty card information, our credit card purchases, et cetera. And they build a dossier, a profile on us. Um, and uh, that data in the United States is increasingly being weaponized. And that's why, as I alluded to before, I uh, proposed and co-authored a law called the California Delete Act that would give consumers the ability to go to a portal that would be operated by the California Consumer Privacy Agency. Um, and the consumers could simply put their email or their, their mailing address and register and say, boom, data brokers that are registered with the state, please delete all my information and no longer track me. So you need to deal with both first party data, 
through a signal like GPC and it needs to be extended to, to mobile and it needs to have enforcement. But the secondary thing is for uh, entities that we have an indirect relationship, we need the equivalent of what we have in the U.S. is a do not call registry where you can go and register and then the entities that, that buy and sell our data behind the scenes without our knowledge uh, have to adhere to the deletion request and then do not track me moving forward request as well. So it's kind of a one-two punch to really make it simple, make it easy for consumers. Because the fundamental problem we have is privacy is too hard, not only in the US, but also in Europe as well. I agree with you. Privacy is too hard and we also make life complex of organizations as well by making laws. Because if I see the California space, which is one of the say most active spaces after Brussels. What I'm observing is there's the CCPA, there's the CPRA, there's this uh, data privacy, uh, data privacy act or data deletion act as we call it or data delete act. Yes. So what's going on? What are the trends? What is it the end objective that California is trying to achieve? Because for an outsider, it seems a little bit overwhelming with all these things. People did CCPA, they thought it they're done with. Then they did the CPRA. And they thought, it, that's it. Now we are having the Delete Act. So what's going on? Yeah, I mean, well, you're right that uh, California in the United States has uh, historically led the nation in consumer protection. Uh, we were really the first ones to focus on automobile emissions. Um, and, uh, and then also in 1970, we actually, or 1972, we added to our constitution the right to privacy. That The right to privacy is actually not in um, the U.S. Constitution, right? So California has always been a leader, and it's known as the California effect. Obviously, uh, a lot of the regulation as it relates to tech is, is coming from Brussels, and so you have that Brussels effect as well. Um, so, so both you and I are kind of, you're in Brussels, I'm here in Silicon Valley, and we're kind of in the geographies that are kind of leading the industry. So this is great that you and I are talking um, and exchanging notes here in this uh, great podcast of yours. And so specific to California, California had uh, the Consu California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, and that passed in 2018. And the interesting thing about it was was that the person behind it, a, a, a real estate uh, millionaire called Alistair McTaggart, and I've become really good friends with Alistair. He's an amazing person, and he was going to put this on the ballot um, in California because you could have direct democracy. They're called propositions, and um, what happened is the industry was was going and going to go against this, uh, and then Cambridge Analytica happened, and they dropped their their uh, opposition, and the legislature said, you know, we're going to look really stupid that this this basic privacy thing is going to be on the ballot. So they took it over and they passed it in law in 30 days. You've never seen legislators kind of hustle as much. But what happened is after it passed in 2018, Alistair saw that the industry was going in and starting to water it down. It immediately, there's all these bills, well, we cut out this, do this. And so what he decided to do is upgrade the CCPA with the California Privacy Rights Act or CPRA, um, as he knew that this upgrade would not 
get through the legislature. So he actually did a ballot measure, which became Prop 24 in, tw in the 2020 campaign. And then that's where I, I met and hooked up with Alistair and I became a full-time volunteer on the campaign and worked on it for six months. And the thinking behind the CPRA was the following. First, make it a floor versus, a, I'm sorry, uh, make it a floor versus a ceiling, meaning, meaning that the privacy law cannot be watered down by the legislature. The second thing is we need to have more teeth in the actual enforcement of the law. And so that is why through Prop 24, we now have the California Privacy Protection Agency. It's the first, you guys have, uh, you know, DPA and you have, for example, the DPC in, in, in Ireland, et cetera. Um, we don't have anything like that. And so this is the first dedicated privacy agency. And with a budget of 10 million, it will actually allow us to have more people doing privacy than the Federal Trade Commission in, in that, that does for the entire country as well. So it's a big deal. And then the final thing, because as I, my answer to your question about GDPR was that it's the gold standard, this actually made California privacy law uh, it upgraded it and, and tried to make it even more on par with GDPR. For example, uh, added purpose limitation, storage limitation, data minimization. Uh, it added the right of correction. Uh, and there's been some other capabilities. And so the good news is the regulations have been written and enforcement will begin uh, in July of this year. So that is the first big trend, which is that finally we have a comprehensive privacy law that will have teeth that will be on par with GDPR, that uh, can't be watered down, and there's a dedicated privacy agency. So that's that's the big thing that's happening in California. Um, and if you want, I can talk about there's two other things that are going on. One is the age-appropriate design code, uh, and then the other thing is the California Delete Act. The age-appropriate design code did pass uh, and will be enforced in 2024. It's actually being challenged in court. Uh, and then the other thing is for data brokers is is my California Delete Act, which is now being considered by the legislature. That's nice. And now California is also the place where the Silicon Valley is. Yes. So on one hand, we are talking about containing big tech. On the other hand, we are talking about uh, promoting innovation. And that's interesting because that's how it should be. We need to keep the balance in the right way. But how is the Silicon Valley viewing privacy? Is it seeing it as an overhead? Is it seeing it as a necessity? Is it seeing it as something ethical? Is it seeing as business value for consumers? How does it see it? Well, I think uh, just like any diverse community, and depending on if you're an incumbent or if you're a challenger, et cetera, you, you see things differently, right? Um, so there isn't a monolithic view from Silicon Valley here of privacy. So I, I think you can kind of say there's a big tech view and then there's the, the startup view. Um, and big tech, as we all know, have, has created these incredible walled gardens. And, and by the way, there's a lot of great features, capabilities, a lot of good. That, that's happened with the big tech companies. Um, the, the issue, of course, is, is that uh, I don't think they've fully thought through how data collection can be weaponized. I also think that they've become monopolies um, and they're stifling innovation. For example, uh, charging 30% if you sell something through an app store uh, is not startup friendly, right? Uh, when you when even after you get it past a million, million and a half, they they the, the rates go up to thirty percent, um, and it 
provides an unfair playing field because they're providing the marketplace, but they also have products in the marketplace as well. And you have to pay the Apple or Android tax, um, or in the case of Amazon, they actually you know, prefer their own uh, products that they gather data of what's selling through the marketplace and then they can offer you know, cheap knockoffs, et cetera. So there's some fundamental you know, monopoly issues involved here. But with, with their walled gardens, what they do is they continuously collect our data, they serve, our ad, serve you ads, uh, and they wanna keep you in the garden. And they're increasingly trying to use AI to make their products more addictive. And probably the, the apex predator of that is TikTok, right? That it's all algorithms, keeping you hooked. And if you guys have uh, uh, children uh, that uh, are using TikTok, you are probably just amazed that they spend you know, a couple hours a day on it. But going back to the monopoly issue, the, the, the big tech platforms lack interoperability. So say I wanna get off of Facebook, maybe there's a new social app I wanna I want use, that, but my friends are still on the Facebook app from Meta. So m me on this new app, I can't communicate with them. And so I'm kind of stuck using Facebook. So what this all boils down to is that there's actually less motivation for uh, Facebook and, and Google to actually innovate in areas like privacy because they just want to keep on collecting the information. Um, they want to keep on using AI on that data. Um, and we're kind of stuck. They're, they're almost like too big to care. Right. And so yeah. finally, it's gotten so bad that that in the main markets that big tech competes in, that VCs don't want to fund any challengers. So they're not being pushed by competitors to do more, especially in privacy. And they they push back against any new regulations, any new proposals for laws to minimize their ability. So that's kind of their view, which is basically they don't want to be regulated. Trust us. Um, but the issue that we have is it's, you know, with those guys, you know, like Meta has Cambridge Analytica, they apologize. But then in 2019, they have five breaches of hundreds of millions of users. They apologize. They move on. Then they make available uh, an Instagram, you know, that that kids can be contacted by uh, adults, et cetera. They apologize. They pay a small fine. They move on. So they don't want to be regulated, but this is this is just not working. The startup view in Silicon Valley is that privacy can be used as a differentiating feature um, and that you can actually make money at privacy. That, and so there's a, a bunch of startups in privacy tech um, that are aimed both at consumers and at the enterprise um, that they can feel that they can actually help businesses uh, address the regulations um, and there's uh, that that AI can be governed and there can be risk management, et cetera. And in fact, I'm actually investing in some of these companies. I'm kind of putting my money in, uh, as an angel investor, uh, my money where my mouth is. Uh, and so I think people, the startup community VCs actually potentially see that there's the ability to um, build some innovative stuff in the areas of privacy. That's wonderful because on, I, I'm glad you share your view on the Silicon Valley, but that's another aspect which you touched and I want to go there. That's the privacy investments. So what is happening with privacy investments, especially in Silicon Valley context? Because are we investing in privacy enough or are there things? Because when I'm talking to Silicon Valley companies, there is a different view. And I'd like to have your view on what's happening, especially from funding side, because if funded Funding is coming, then we can have more innovation on privacy, more 
ideas on privacy being implemented, more security being there? Well, yeah, I think um, I actually am probably the most prolific angel investor in uh, privacy companies. I have investments over six uh, privacy-centric uh, companies. And, uh, and by the way, I'm not a venture capitalist. I, you know, I just put my own money in to companies at a very early stage. So uh, as people are trying to bootstrap the company, they get money from their Uncle Larry, but then I hear about them and I, and I work with the CEO and I, I, I write a check my own, from my own bank account to kind of help them as well, because I just, I just believe in this. Uh, and I think from my perspective, and I think the, the bigger, the real VCs, as opposed to me being an angel or seed investor, are starting to see this, is that there are laws coming out um, that can actually drive the need to make privacy more of a must-have versus a nice-to-have. So one of the things about, especially with enterprise technology, is that you know companies will only buy a software product or cloud solution if they have to, right? Wow. You know, they, they're not in the business of doing nice, nice to have things they, you know, it's, you know, time and money is precious, et cetera. They're not going to waste their times with things that, that they can't prove that they really, really need, um, et cetera. And historically in cybersecurity, it's taken, st I'm going to call them sticks like PCI, DSS or Gramm-Leach-Bliley or HIPAA or uh, to motivate people to say, yes, I know security is an issue, but I'm not required to actually do this. But now when you have PCI or Gramm-Leach-Bliley or HIPAA or whatever, you actually are like, oh, I could actually get fined or I, I cannot get accredited or something like that. And so that motivates them. And that's what really kind of jump started the cybersecurity market. I think in privacy, yes, you had GDPR. So you had the first version one of uh, software vendors coming out with solutions that help people do a better job with GDPR, CCPA, CPR are helping. And now in the United States, last year we had five privacy laws, now we have 10. So I think that the, the stick is getting bigger to motivate people to do stuff. But I think there's a new wave, uh, especially coming from Europe of, of regulations that should drive more um, startups. So for example, I mean, obviously you have the DSA, DMA, they tend to focus on the bigger entities, but I think like the AI Act, once that gets through in Europe, it is going to force and require uh, organizations to do more auditing and risk governance and risk management associated with it. And so actually in, in, uh, in London, I, there's a company called Holistic AI that I invested in because I was like, wow, this is a platform for uh, people wanting to harness AI ethically and safely, um, and it provides AI risk management and auditing. And so I felt that with the AI Act coming on board, um, that holistic AI could ride that wave as well. So if you can attach yourself to, uh, a, 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 you know, like your data act, for example, um, I have an investment in a company in France called Astron um, that allows people to, to separate and, and, and split out their sensitive data via regions and, and it provides encryption, fragmentation, et cetera. So there's just a lot of good opportunities that you can map actually to 
um, rules and regulations, your Data Act, your AI Act, et cetera, that should foster an ecosystem of not only service providers um, and experts like yourself, but also a set of technology providers as well. And so I think the key thing with privacy investing is, is that people are starting to realize that these laws and rules will then foster innovation to help people address these things. I think that's a very good way of summarizing that we need an ecosystem of various laws. And it's not just privacy in isolation, the ethics, the AI, the security, the data, the data governance, all need to be looked at it together. And in fact, that was also the view I got a few weeks ago when I was with the EDPS director. And he was also talking about AI and privacy will become both the roles of the DPO going forward. And that's the direction we are headed because we started with vanilla privacy. Then we added big tech or the technology part. And people were asking, do I need to know about technology or privacy? Am I a security expert? And now we are adding AI. But end of the day, we are talking about protecting data or making data private or making ensuring privacy. And that's where the focus will be. But I believe there your book would also be a great asset. And when is it coming, by the way? Yeah, no, it's uh, so containing big tech. Uh, yeah. You can actually just type containingbigtech.com. It actually redirects to the Amazon page um, and it's available for order right now. Um, it, well, actually pre-order right now. Uh, it's available uh, in mid-August, but you can order it right now and when, it, when it's on the in the database or it's in the database and the inventory systems and, and all that stuff, it'll ship out uh, in, in mid-August. Um, and you can also learn more about the book at my personal website, tomkemp.ai, uh, where I uh, I have, uh, I blog a lot. And so actually I have a lot of nice comparisons of GDPR versus CCPA versus CPRA, et cetera. So it's a great resource site uh, for, for people wanting to know more about California law and how it differs from uh, European law, et cetera. I cover that a lot in the book as well. Um, you know, talking about what's happening in Europe, what's happening in California, what's happening at the, at the federal level, um, as well. So yeah, so containingbigtech.com takes you directly to the book, or you can go to my personal website, tomkemp.ai, uh, mm -hmm. where you can learn more about the book and, and the stuff that I write about. Absolutely. What we will do is we will add the notes or the links to both the websites and also the Amazon link so that people can access it easily. But for now, I would say it was a wonderful conversation. And thank you so much for sharing your time. Of course, going seeing your knowledge and wisdom, I think we can talk for days. But for this episode, let's say thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on. Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, feel free to share it with a friend and write a review. If you have already done so, thank you so much. And if you did not like the show, don't bother and forget about it. Take care and stay safe. Fit for Privacy helps you to create a culture of privacy and manage risks by creating, defining, and implementing a privacy strategy that includes delivering scenario-based training for your staff. We also help those who are looking to get certified in CIPPE, CIPM, and CIPT through on-demand courses that help you prepare and practice for certification exam. Want to know more? Visit www.fitforprivacy.com. That's www.fit4privacy.com. If you have questions or suggestions, drop an email at 
hello at fit4privacy.com. Until next time, goodbye.